I think there's a lot of people that legitimately are concerned that God is like this, you know, divine Grinch, like this cosmic Grinch that God uh, will harden people's, or maybe God's making other people into a Grinch, which raises this theological question. Well, how do we read these passages? How do we understand what's going on there? And is God responsible for the wickedness done by people who have a hard heart? Everyone, welcome to the AC Podcast. This is Andy Steiger, joined with the Ontario legend, Wesley Huff. The Ontario legend. Yeah, welcome to the show. Is that my official job description? Mm, maybe. Not quite. Not quite. Not quite the one we're looking for. What are you doing in British Columbia? We had a few things we needed to get wrapped up for the Can I Trust the Bible series. So I hopped on the plane, made my way over. This was planned a little while ago, but yeah. we're just uh, executing it now. And it's good to have you here. It's been yeah, good. It's always good to be in BC. Yeah. It's rainy as expected, but <laughs> it's actually been truly uh, Noah level uh, of rain. But it's I, when I come, it's, it's always better. the weather's always pretty good. And so I always think, you know, it's supposed to be raining over here. It's funny you should say that because every time I go to uh, Ontario, it's nice weather. So, yeah. So, uh, you know, maybe we just I... work it out for each other. <laughs> now, you're killing two birds with one stone being here. Uh, we've been working on the Canada Trust the Private Project, which is going to be released at our. Uh, British Columbia Conference coming up here, the Apologetics Canada Conference. Tickets are available, so I want to uh, encourage you to go check those out. We're going to be talking on the subject of the Bible. It's going to be a great conference, and we're really looking forward to rolling out uh, this video series. Yeah. But we figured, hey, you're here. Might as well podcast live today. It's December, so we got the nice Christmas ambiance going. I guess when I say live, I mean video. So any of you that are hearing this on... Audio, just know that you could be watching us. So shoot over to YouTube or online onto our uh, website and you can check out the video. Make sure you go watch the video and see Andy's Christmas tree. Yeah, it's very it's very festive here. It's very Christmassy. Uh, are you ready for Christmas? I think I'm ready for Christmas. I don't know if I'm ever truly Is ready tree for up? Christmas. My tree's up. We went out to a farm, cut one down. We put it up just a couple days ago, really. But... Whenever I think about going out and cutting down a tree, I always think of uh, Christmas Vacation, Chevy Chase. You ever seen that? Yeah, yeah, Classic. Our tree is pretty small compared to the one that they cut down in Christmas Vacation. <laughs> yeah, that's that's uh, that's a pretty big tree. Have you been watching any Christmas movies, getting yourself into the, the holiday spirit? You know, my kids really wanted to watch The Grinch, but the uh, the classic cartoon Dr. Zeus one, not the not the Jim Carrey one, that's, that's a little bit too much for them. They they watched it. My son watched it a lot last year, but I think it's just a little Did bit it creep weird. Him out? Yeah. Well, it is like a this is a grown man in a furry costume. Yeah. There's just something about it. Yeah. There's something more innocent about the cartoon one. Yeah. Yeah. Which uh, which is it's just great, great story, great cartoon. I've always enjoyed it. Uh, I actually thoroughly enjoy Jim Carrey as the Grinch as well. That's fine. Yeah. Do you, uh, so? Do you read your kids the Grinch? Yeah. Story. Yeah. Can I get a taste of that? I like was, it. Yeah, what does that sound like? Well, and who will they say that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day? And then the true meaning of Christmas came out through, and the Grinch found the strength of two Grinches plus two. <laughs> Fun fact, uh, Wes is really good at uh, doing different accents. 
but his son hates it. My, he hates it. Anytime I start, <laughs> doesn't matter what the accent is. He'll be, Daddy, stop. Don't do that voice. <laughs> now, uh, the Grinch is actually a great segue into the topic that we want to talk about today. We're talking about the subject of does God harden people's hearts? Now, this is a subject we see in the Bible. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. And of course, it's got this connection with the Grinch whose heart is two sizes, you know, too small. Is that, would that be the right way to say yeah, it? Yeah, I think so. Okay. And so I think there's a lot of people that legitimately are concerned that God is like this, you know, divine Grinch, like this cosmic Grinch that God uh, will harden people's, or maybe God's making other people into a Grinch, which raises this theological question, well, how do we read these passages? How do we understand what's going on there? And is God responsible for the wickedness done by people who have a hard heart? Yeah, I think there are, the, there are some passages in the Bible <clears throat> that are a little bit harder to understand, and we have this perception if we're only reading you know, bits and parts of Scripture, where we get to passages like Exodus, yeah, I think that's a good place to start. Let's let's jump into that one. The Exodus one? Yeah, let's jump into that yeah, one. Yeah, because it seems like there's this back and forth. Um, all right, you have Exodus chapter 4, verse 2, which says that God promises that he's going to f- harden Pharaoh's heart. This is obviously the context of the Exodus. God's people are in slavery. They've been in slavery for 400 years. God meets Moses at the burning bush. And he tells Moses he's about to use Moses and Aaron to release God's people. But in order to do that, he's going to, he's going to put a certain disposition on Pharaoh to show his glory. Now, where, where are you? So, um, cause I see this in, in Exodus five, two. So we, we see it all over the place, right? Right. God promises to harden Pharaoh's heart in Exodus four, two. And then Pharaoh is said to harden his own heart. Yeah, that's 5.2. In, okay, 5.2. Yeah, yeah I'll understand. just read that just to give some yeah, clarity for, for people. So we see in Exodus 5.2 that it, it says, Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? This is obviously after Moses uh, and Aaron went to Pharaoh and, and said, this is verse 1, said, this is what the Lord God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Now, Pharaoh said, this is verse two, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Yeah, and then in in Exodus 8, 15 and 32, you have Pharaoh hardening his own heart. And then in Exodus 9, 12, you have God who's hardening Pharaoh's heart even more. And then again in Exodus 9.34, you have Pharaoh hardening his own heart. And then in Exodus 10.120 and then 11.10, you have God hardening Pharaoh's heart again. So you have this back and forth where Pharaoh is hardening his heart. God is at least, it's describing him hardening Pharaoh's heart further. And then, so so I think the question is, what's going on here? Yeah, and let me just read a couple of these just for people. Yeah, go for it. Uh, So let me just read, first of all, 8.15 says... But when Pharaoh saw that there was uh, relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord said. Yeah. So God's God's saying, "Hey, listen, uh, this is this is what's going to happen." And then to, to your point, uh, Wes, in Exodus nine sixteen, we read uh, now. God speaking of Pharaoh says, "But I have raised you up for this very purpose that I might show." 
you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. And so you get this sense of, okay, Pharaoh's hardening his heart, but it it appears that God is also hardening Pharaoh's heart. Mm -hmm. Now, one thing I want to say, though, in my Bible, it does note that this this word raised up uh, can also be translated, uh, have spared you. Uh, so, uh, so I have spared you for this purpose. And I want to get into this idea because I think that there, there's different ways that you could read what's happening here. On the one hand, I think you could read that Pharaoh's kind of like God's punching bag, hmm. and he's kind of raised him up, and he's going to hit him down again, and he's going to raise him up, and he's going to hit him down again. And this idea that I'm going to show Israel my power through Pharaoh and his hard heart, I'm going to show uh, who I am. At, at the same time, you have this idea, though, that God could destroy Pharaoh immediately, hmm. but he's choosing to not that he's giving Pharaoh opportunity, that he's mm. spared him, but Pharaoh's heart is continually being hardened towards the Lord. And so in one sense, then you could say that, yes, Pharaoh is hardening his heart towards God right from the get-go, but because God is standing in opposition to Pharaoh, this is further hardening Pharaoh's heart. How would you respond to that? Yeah, I, I think I think both things can be true at the exact same time. You know, two things can be true at the same time in that Pharaoh is hardening his heart because of his sin, because of his depravity, and God is using the means of broken human beings to accomplish his will. So God's will is that Israel will triumph, that they will eventually be released from their mm -hmm. captivity. But to show his glory, to show how great he is, he's going to use the brokenness and the depravity of Pharaoh, and he's going to accomplish something that is even greater than if he just wipes out Pharaoh. And I think this is a key point to appreciate in this whole conversation, because this is going to get picked up again in the New Testament. Hmm. And we, I think we need to appreciate this idea that God is going to use Pharaoh and his hard heart to accomplish something even greater. Well, and we see the exact same thing with the, with the accomplishment of the cross, right? God uses broken human beings, whether yeah. it's, you know, the Jews, the Sanhedrin, uh, Pilate, Judas. Herod, all of those individuals. Yeah. He uses those broken human beings to accomplish his will of ultimately the salvific purpose of purchasing those who are his. And I think there's a parallel here, right? With with Moses and with the Exodus in that God uses these things, or even with Jacob in yep. Exodus chapter 50, when it says, you know, that you uh, plan these things for evil, but God uh, uh, planned them for good. Yep. And that God is using this brokenness that is the end result of human depravity to accomplish a better outcome. Now, here's where the... Theological rubber hits the road, if you will, and the gears come grinding to a halt for the Apostle Paul. Okay. Right? Because Paul would be amening that, but then there's this issue that, that takes place that has a parallel that's happening with regards to Moses and Pharaoh. Moses is this leader that is raised up to save the people, mm. and Ultimately, there's this opposition with Pharaoh and that God's going to overcome. He's going to do something even greater through that opposition. But the tables turn when we get into the New Testament because God raises up 
a new Moses, right? This new, the, a Messiah, mm-hmm. you know, in this lineage of, of Israel, of, of, you know, Abraham, this covenant promise that God's going to save his people, not from Egypt, not from Assyria, Babylon, Babylonia, and all these other, you know, or Rome at the time, right? That God's going to save his people from evil. He's going to save his, his people from sin. Right. So you got Jesus, right? Yeah. The challenge is, though, that Paul's dealing with when you get into like the book of Romans is Paul's like, this is great that Jesus has come and he's come to save us, but my people aren't coming, right? They, they, it, it, it's now it's not Pharaoh's heart that's hard, hmm. it's Israel's heart that's hard. Mm-hmm. And now, and I think this is such a key idea, and I want to talk about this because I think a lot of people uh, really miss this point. In the Old Testament, when Moses, sorry, when in the Old Testament, when Pharaoh's heart's hard, God uses that to accomplish a greater purpose. What I see an argument that Paul's making in Romans is here we are now in the New Testament. We have this Messiah Jesus that's come to save us, but it's the Israel's, it's it, the Israelites, it's the Jews whose heart is hard, but God's using that for a greater purpose. Yeah, and I I think that there, I mean, right off the outset, maybe we we should have said this um, earlier, but there's no hardness of the human heart against God, either from God's divine decree or the depravity of humankind that God cannot overcome. Hmm. In that, you know, you have the Ezekiel 11, 19, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh, and I will give them a heart of flesh. And in that sense... A heart of stone, and I'll give them a heart of flesh. Yeah, yeah, remove their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. And so when we get to Romans 9.15, and we see God saying, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion, I think that should be an encouragement to us, in that there's a seeming impossibility of human hardness to struggle against God that God cannot overcome. God can always overcome that, And so the kind of aside to this conversation is that despite us hardening our hearts, despite maybe God hardening our hearts, that, and I say this because there's probably people who are listening, who have family members, who have coworkers, who have whoever, who they feel are just so hostile to God and feel that, you know, they read that Romans chapter one and they see God giving people over to their depravity and they think, you know, uh, I have these people whom I love uh, are are they so hard that, that God's God's grace can't break through? And the answer to that would be no. I mean, God could have broken through Pharaoh's hardness of heart. He didn't, but it wouldn't have been an impossibility for him to do so. Yeah, I guess that raises like a conundrum for me. On the one hand, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. I would say, yes, God can break through the hardest of hearts and... This is one of the true... I think this is the miracle of the cross that a lot of people miss, is that, you know, we want to see the the blind receive sight and the lame walk, and Jesus is saying, but I've come to do something far greater than that, Yeah, that I've come to heal the heart, right? That, that there is forgiveness of sins, and people's relationship with God can be restored. Hmm. Wes, I would say, though, that there is the challenge of what what does God do though if somebody's heart is 
is hardened towards the Lord, and they don't want a relationship with God. So, uh, so I would agree that, yes, God can break through the hardest of hearts, but I also think that people can stand stubbornly in opposition to God. I, I would agree with that. I don't think in a way that God can't overcome. I, I would agree again. Yeah. <laughs> People always laugh, I guess, at the podcast because you and I, we both agree and disagree, but we agree more than we disagree. And sometimes people are like, I just don't know if you guys listen to each other. Yeah, yeah, that, that could be true. <laughs> I try not to listen to Andy as much as possible. But so you have, so we've been talking about Romans, Romans chapter one. Verse, I heard that, by the way. Verse, I know, I know you did. I made sure you did. Um, <laughs> so you have Romans chapter one, verses 24 to 28. And 28 specifically, I think is important because yeah, it says- Yeah, let's jump into this. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to debase minds to do what ought not to be done. And I think there's a seriousness of the sinful condition Mm -hmm. prior to God's giving them over to a debased mind. So there's uh, God's removing of his restraints of grace that he often puts on sinners and we see that. I mean, there are examples throughout history. I think God right. is restraining human evil. Things could be worse than they are. They could be worse. They're not as bad as they could be. Uh, God is restraining the human evil of the human heart. and But at times, I think that's released for particular purposes that are really only known to God. And that depravity predates God's handing them over. And I think we see that, right? And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God that's when God gave them up. And I think that's what you're talking about. Yeah, and let me let me highlight that with another verse, because I, I think this is an important point for people to appreciate, because so often people will find one verse about God hardening somebody's heart, mm. and then they'll base a theology all around that right. and not read Paul, and particularly we get this in Paul, uh, but, but you see it elsewhere, which we'll pull up, uh, for example, in John. But... They won't read Paul more broadly and go, okay, what's what's a bigger picture of what Paul's saying, what he's getting after here? Because right. this is an important hermeneutic tool. Like, how do you understand what the Bible's saying? It's important to read the entire uh, chapter, read the entire book, read the entire Bible, because the Bible uh, interprets the Bible. Who is Herman and why are his ticks important? <laughs> and why are his what? Ticks. Okay. Hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is just the word that means biblical interpretation. Yes. Yes. Sorry, I was... Uh, not uh, tracking with you there. That's for a okay. Moment. So if you go to Ephesians chapter four, verse 17, mm. I'm going to read there because Paul explains what he's talking about with regards to hardening of heart. So he says, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Now, notice this. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, Hmm. and they are full of greed. In other words, who's hardening their heart? I would say, well, they're hardening their own heart and right. God's giving them over to it. Right. And you see a pattern here, right? That you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. That's us, right? Bunch of Gentiles. Yep. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. So I think we see this pattern, right? So Paul traces the hardness 
of our condition back through the futility of our minds into our darkened understanding, the alienation of God, ignorance, and then finally to the hardness of hearts. And I think that's what in Romans chapter 5, Paul outlines that it's Adam's sin that's infected the human race, mm-hmm. right? Through one trespass led to the condemnation of all men. And so in one sense, the judgment of God has already happened in eternity past because of Adam, because of our first parents, we've fallen and we're in this state. And so in that sense, God has hardened our hearts through the sin of our first parents, but that's led to this kind of, this pattern that Paul traces through the Ephesians passage that, that you just highlighted. Well, tease that out for me though. I, I was with you, I was with you, and then I wasn't with you. Okay. Uh, so... I, I agree with you, be, you know, that Adam and Eve sin, we have been born into slavery to sin. Mm-hmm. And this then has uh, a... An implication. Yeah, like this, is, this has an effect on us. Yeah. But who's responsible for that effect? Because when, I, when you read the Bible, people are responsible for the evil that they do. Yeah. So where is God's... How do you, how do you understand God's hardening than within that context. Well, I would say in terms of the judgment. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, the, that we stand judged right. because of the condition of our human heart, because we're fallen in Adam. And I mean, the, the good news of that is that there's a second Adam. Now, this is an interesting point, by the way, because I think we see this even today. When I'm, I, I was just talking with somebody the other day who was talking about somebody they dearly love who's, whose heart is hardened mm. to the Lord. And often it is the case that judgment is a, is a part of this, that, yeah. that they're angry with God, they're, they're frustrated with God, maybe they have felt that they have been treated unfairly, and their heart is, is hard to the Lord. Yeah. And so it, it's this interesting thing where it's like, I would say, on the one hand, that person has hardened their heart, and on the other hand, God has hardened their heart. Yeah. Because God is resolute in his opposition to sin and evil, and saying, this is the way of life, this is what will lead to your flourishing. And people, you know, the Bible refers to this as a stumbling stone, Yeah, that Jesus is a stumbling block for, for, for some people in that, in that regard, because he's unmoving. Hmm. And I think often we downplay our own human depravity in this conversation. Like we have a, we have a calibration issue in the sense that we like to think of ourselves better than we are. Hmm. And so... I think because we almost act as if God owes us something, we often fail to realize that, no, we stand judged. We're children of wrath until God, until that inbreaking of the Holy Spirit, removing our heart of stone, giving us a heart of flesh, right? The Ezekiel passage. And then that's when we become children of the Most High. But until that point, we're children of wrath. And we're children of wrath because of our own sinful condition. Maybe another way to put this, Wes, is that we've been born into judgment. Yeah. And that can either lead you to repentance hmm. or into opposition, yeah. right? And, and really what it's interesting that you see with Paul is that it leads him to worship God. He's like, man, I was born into judgment, but Jesus came. Yeah. And this is, this is an interesting passage because Jesus comes to save. And, and this is a, a passage that actually... I, I, is again one of those that confuses people. So maybe we'll jump into John real quick here. And I want to jump back into Romans because there's a bunch of questions people struggle with when they're reading Paul 
wrestling in Romans, again, wrestling with why the Jews aren't coming to faith. Uh, but if we go to John chapter 12, there's, there is this uh, passage there that uh, I find gets pulled up pretty regularly. And in this passage in John chapter 12, I'll just read uh, from verse 37. Uh, Even after Jesus had performed uh, so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. And then we read verse 38, John saying, this was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who has believed our message and whom uh, has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts mm. so that they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts. And this now check this then, nor turn and I would heal them. So this is always interesting, right? It's like this is hardening of heart. They need to turn and they will be healed. And then we read now in verse 41, Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Yet at the same time, and and this is, I think, key, by the way, a lot of people might just stop there and then want to camp out and build a theology there. It's like, well, you got to, let's keep reading. Uh, uh, Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. So John's saying, now, although this is the case, there are hardened hearts, there actually are a lot of Pharisees who uh, believe in him, a lot of leaders who believe in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than, than praise from God. Then Jesus cried out, Whoever believes in me does not believe in uh, me only, but in the one who sent me. For the one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person, for I did not come uh, to judge the world, but to save the world. This is, this is such a key idea. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. And I think there, there's, there's this huge however, though, that mm. gets back to what you and I are talking about. Because we were, we were born into judgment. We were born into sin. And, and, in, and sin and wickedness will be judged. Hmm. So, so what's happening here? And I would say this is, this is what's happening. Jesus is saying, I've come to save you. I haven't come to judge you. I've come to save you. But, and he tells this to uh, Caiaphas, the high priest, when he's being judged by Caiaphas. Mm-hmm. He says, but you're going to see that I'm actually going to come again. But the next time I come, he says, riding on the clouds of heaven... Right. I will come in judgment. Yeah. So I have not come in judgment right now. I've come to save you. And I want you to turn so that I will heal your heart. I want you to turn. But there is a day that's coming when which you will be judged, as he tells Caiaphas. Well, you see the parallel when he's talking in Nicodemus in the famous John 3.16 passage, right? So, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, right? That's your mm-hmm. the similar uh, passage with talking about judging. But to save the world through him, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. 
So in that sense, there's that, you know, God sent Jesus. He's come to save, not come to condemn. But those who do not believe, they stand condemned already because they're dead in their sins and trespasses, right? You don't go to heaven or to hell on the basis of, uh, you go to to hell on the basis of your sin, right? Mm -hmm. And that's fair judgment. But I think coming back to this, a passage in, in John 12. It's an interesting one because the context in verse 41, right? You say, it says, Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus's glory and spoke about him. Well, that's a really strange passage mm-hmm. because John is saying that Isaiah saw Jesus. So where did Isaiah saw, see Jesus? Well, the only place where Isaiah sees the glory of something yeah. is in Isaiah chapter six in the, the throne room vision. Yeah, beautiful passage. Which is being paralleled there, right? In the yeah. year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, and two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory, right? And there's the passage. Isaiah sees God. And so if you go back in time and say, Isaiah, who did you see? Well, he would say, I saw Yahweh God. Yeah. If we were to go forward in time and say, John, who did Isaiah see? He's saying, well, I saw Jesus. Well, what's the context of that? Well, the commissioning of Isaiah is to go and preach to people who will not hear, who will not see. And, right? And here I stand, send me. Yeah. And what does God say? Go and tell this people be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of his people calloused. Make their eyes dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, with their ears. They would hear and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. So that there's that parallel where you have this being yeah. fulfilled. In Jesus. In Jesus. And yeah. it's a very strong passage of the divinity of Christ. Yes. Because John is saying that Isaiah saw Jesus. Yeah. But you also have this parallel with the people whom Isaiah is commissioned to go tell the Jews of God's message. But actually, God is going to bring judgment through that because yeah. he's going to tell them, but they're not going to hear. Now, this is where it gets back to a different point that you'd already made. And I think it's important just to reiterate then, because notice what's happening. Jesus is coming. Yeah. He's... And what's he experiencing? Well, he's experiencing a hardness of heart. As he says, man, how long I've wished to gather you like a hen gathers its chicks, and you just were not willing. He, he deals with this hardening of heart, but what happens? God uses it mm-hmm. for a greater good. Mm-hmm. That through that hardening of heart, Jesus is going to be crucified, yeah. but through that, he's going to defeat evil. He's going to defeat sin. And I think this is just such a key idea for people to appreciate that God can work through the most stubborn, obstinate people, that God can work through those, that, that hard heart to accomplish something even greater, Yeah, that, that good can come from that, and that ultimately God's desire is that all would come uh, to, to believe, that they would all come and be healed. This again, and I want to go back now to Romans as we come in for a landing, because Paul, this is all such important context to appreciate, as Paul in Romans is dealing with this deep theological issue, and I, I think for a lot of us, we just don't fully appreciate this, that Paul is, is, is really sad because mm. he's trying to understand how God has made this covenant with Israel, he's made this promise to Israel, Jesus comes, 
right, to, to save his people. And he, he would say, right, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Right. But you were not willing. Yeah. And he's dealing with this hard heart amongst his own people, and he's wrestling with, how am I to understand this? Yeah. Well, he's, he's lamenting the fact that God's chosen people are not accepting the Messiah who, mm-hmm. who was, was prophesied to come. And, and going back to what you were saying before, I think that's a, a key point in that God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. Yeah. And not only can, but does. And ultimately, we see that in the culmination of the cross, which is the greatest evil, right? The only innocent man who's ever lived, who was betrayed, who was murdered, and yet God accomplishes the greatest act of good through the greatest act of evil. Let me just highlight this, just so people are aware. And if you've read Romans 9, I mean, this is a kind of a classic passage, especially if you're going to talk about hardening of hearts. Notice what he says here in Romans 9, right at the beginning. He says, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrows and unceasing anguish in my heart. Like, this issue is burdening Paul, and and he's he's trying to understand this. And, I, I, and I want, I'm just bringing this up again and again for people, because I just find Romans will get misread so often with people take their sights off of what Paul's saying and the argument that he's trying to deal with. For example, when people read Romans chapter 9, they'll come across Esau and Jacob, and again, they just don't know what to do. What am I to do with Esau I've hated and Jacob I've loved? And you're going, well, what am I... What am I supposed to do with that? And one of the things that I would say, Wes, and I'm curious your thoughts as we kind of dialogue on this, and, and that is, well, first of all, you need to go back and appreciate the context of what's being quoted from. This is always the case when you're in the New Testament and they're quoting from the Old Testament. Go back to the Old Testament and find out the context of what's being, being said. And what's being said is that uh, Isaac right? You, you have, well, starting with Abraham, right? You have this promise, this covenant promise, and, and now through his lineage, this, this promise is coming together, but it comes together in a way that you're not expecting because Isaac has two sons. So Esau is the older, right? He's the one that's going to receive the inheritance, mm-hmm. but he's not the one who gets the inheritance, right? The, the God in this, God's going to do it through Jacob. And it's interesting because there's a couple things happening here. One is Paul's dealing with the idea that, well, the Jews are the ones that the inheritance was first made to, and that it's through them that God's going to bless the entire world. And I think one of the arguments Paul's making to his Jewish community is he's saying, but look at what God did back with Esau and Jacob. Neither of them had done anything. They hadn't followed the law or not followed the law, mm-hmm. right? That it was God's sovereign choice that he's going to do this through, through Jacob. And I think that this is hyperbolic language to say, Esau have I hated. This is a juxtaposition, right? And Jacob have I loved. Saying, I've, I've chosen, I'm going to bring this about through Jacob, which you wouldn't have expected. Yeah, it's despite the individual that, that God accomplishes his plan. Cause even my wife, Melissa and I were talking about this. She was doing her devotions and she was going through Genesis and she was like, Wes, all of these people are messed up. Yep. Like there's no reason for Jacob to have gotten the birthright. 
and nope. for God to like he's a liar, he's a deceiver. Like he's always a good conniving. dude. And these people are not good people. Even Abraham, he's going yep. into Egypt and he's like, "Oh, uh let's say my wife is my sister." And you're like, "What are you what are you doing? Yep. Why are you doing this?" And it's always causing problems and I think God is accomplishing these things on purpose to show you know, even the these the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, these individuals who founded the nation, they're broken, they're fallible, they're these really... They this, have hard hearts. They have hard hearts, and yet God is accomplishing his purpose through them. And not even just that. Whenever we see a description of God, you know, it's not, I am omniscient, I am omnipresent, I am omnipotent. It's not the big theological terms, right? Yeah. It's... The relational aspects. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the God of your fathers. And maybe a different way to put this then is I'm the God of the hard hearts. Hmm. I'm the God of the broken people. I'm the God of the broken people, yes. And that through me. them, I can do, I, I can accomplish my purpose, I, even I through their brokenness. I my will. Yeah, yeah, whether that's through these broken farmers. All the way back to, you know, even with Pharaoh. Yeah, and sheep herders, or whether it's uh, a bunch of Galilean fishermen. Now think about this too, because I think this, this goes to your point is that it's, it's interesting when you're reading the story of Esau and Jacob, because you, whenever you encounter Esau in the story, you're expecting, oh, he must be this terrible guy in the future, and that's why God didn't use he's him. not really. But he's not really. But what do you get with Jacob? Well, you get a guy who's just in a constant wrestling match with the Lord. Yeah. And then ultimately gets his name. Literally, struggles with God. Is Israel. the name Israel. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, wrestles with God. And, and he walks away limping. Right? You know, he holds on to God till he blesses him, and then he walks away limping. And that's probably an analogy for, for us, right? We are struggling through this world, and we're, we're trying to hold on to God, and we're like, God, just, just bless us. And, and, and God's going to do that, but we're going to walk, walk away, easy for me to say, we're going to walk away limping. Yeah. And that's why, you know, the nation of Israel is called Yisrael the ones who struggle with God. And then we are the, the church is the, the grafted onto Israel yes. for the Gentiles as the ones who likewise struggle with God. And Paul brings that up and he says, don't, don't get, you know, prideful. Yeah. You need to remember what you've been grafted onto. Yeah. But I think in other words, and I hope this is kind of becoming clear as we come in for a landing here, is that oftentimes people read in the Bible about God and hardening people's hearts. And I, I hope that as we've talked here, that you actually are encouraged, not discouraged. That this is a God who's holding his ground. He's not going to bend to evil, but yet he's going to work in the midst of broken people, broken situations to achieve his good purposes. And in the end, uh, uh, God will um, will reign, that, that God is in control. He's even, he's even in control of the brokenness. And that this is something that Paul, and I just want to finish with this, because it's important if you read Romans chapter 9, you got to read Romans chapter 10 and chapter 11, mm-hmm. as Paul like comes in for his own landing of how he's encouraged in the midst of his deep sorrow. So uh, let me just read a couple a couple sections here. If we read in Romans, um, if we read in Romans chapter 10, for example, starting in verse 3, then he says, since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Hmm. So again, you have this idea that you have this opposition, 
this hardening of hearts, but God's going to overcome it and achieve something even greater through it. Going down to verse 9, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord over all and richly blesses all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I think for Paul, this is... uh, something that that he's kind of holding on to as he's uh, seeing Gentiles coming to faith in droves, seeing this hardness of hearts of the of the Jewish people. But he as he talks about, it, he says, but I think that God's going to do something in that. He's going he's still doing something amongst the my my people, Paul would say, to save them, yeah. to, to bring them to repentance. And to bring that back to sort of our Christmas theme of this being December, when the angel visits Mary and tells Mary, you're going to name him Jesus. Well, why are you going to name him Jesus? Because uh, she will give birth to a son and you will give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He's going to accomplish that. He's going to do that. And that's why you're going to name him Yeshua. He's, you know, Yahweh saves. Yeah. And so that's the promise right there in the Christmas story, in the nativity, and then you carry that right through to the cross and then Paul's proclamation of that and then his kind of teasing out of that in places like Ephesians and Romans. Well, I hope that this uh, encourages you. I hope that it makes sense. I mean, I, you know, you do these podcasts and you're like, man, we could have talked like two hours on this subject, but I hope that we've kind of given you something to think about as you wrestle with this idea of people hardening their own hearts, people being hearts being hardened through God, and God achieving His good purposes even through broken people like us. And that this doesn't discourage me, it actually encourages me, mm-hmm. and as I look to Christmas, I'm so thankful for a God who loves me so much that He didn't give up on me, but was willing to come, born Emmanuel, God with us, yeah. that even as He dealt with uh, hard hearts that ultimately led to His death, that we have the hope of resurrection, that he's done something far greater in the midst of all of that brokenness and that he's overcome all of that hardness. And that's what Christmas is all about, Andy Steiger. (laughs) And their hearts grew. And their hearts grew (laughs) to the size of two Grinches plus two. (laughs) Thank you for joining us on the AC Podcast. We will see you next week with more things to think about. Until then, Merry Christmas. It's the AC Podcast.